This paid podcast is produced by Slate Studios and Teva Pharmaceuticals. From Slate Studios and Teva Pharmaceuticals, this is Life Effects, a podcast about health. I'm your host, Sarah Avery. In this season, we explore health conditions and trends through the lens of the patient. We look at what they experience now. Every single day was dedicated to fighting cancer. And now I was done. And we bring researchers into the conversation who can map out for us what the future might hold. I hope that at some point the culture shifts to where we just use the word health. And we automatically assume that it includes both physical health and mental health. Today, we investigate the deep connections between mental health and physical health. The link between them wasn't always so obvious to the medical community. And patients who suffered mental distress, they often had to do so alone and in silence. Why have taboos around mental health persisted? And what does the future look like as we probe the innate relationship between mental and physical health? We start with this story from Heather Vaughn St. James that explores this link. My dad worked construction back in the 70s. So he remembers mixing drywall mud that had asbestos in it. He remembers sanding the mud off the walls after it had dried and coming home with a coat crusted in this grayish white dust. And I would wear this coat when I would feed my rabbits, when I would do chores outside. You know, this was the coat that I wore because it was already dirty. And besides, it was my dad's coat and it smelled like him, you know, and he would hug me. We would always go places in his dusty car. These men were just going to work to provide for their families. And my dad suffered from a lot of guilt. He had a lot of guilt about exposing me, but he didn't know. So I was diagnosed with malignant pleural mesothelioma, which is the cancer caused by asbestos exposure um, when I was just 36 years old. My baby was three months old at the time. I was a new mom and all of a sudden I was given 15 months to live. It was like a dream. It's like I wasn't really there. It was like an out-of-body experience. I heard this word mesothelioma. I'd never heard it before. My husband was the one that was like, oh, this is bad. So we flew to Boston a week later, found out that I was a perfect candidate for a very extremely risky surgery. You know, they took a rib out. They took my lung out, they cut me in half. They called the shark bite. During surgery, they did a heated chemo wash, where they pump in this chemotherapy heated up to 140 degrees, wash it around in the chest cavity. I then returned to Minneapolis and I started chemotherapy. I had four sessions of chemo and then I graduated from that on to radiation and that was 30 sessions of radiation and on my last day of radiation they gave me this diploma. And it was this ridiculous printed on cheap copy paper diploma. I mean, they didn't even spring for the good cotton linen type. (laughs) And I went and I sat in my car and I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried. And it was the lowest point of the whole treatment. Every single day was dedicated to fighting cancer. And now I was done. 
I had nothing to go back to. I didn't have a job. You know, I, I basically felt abandoned because nobody told me how to cope. Nobody told me how to get back into life after cancer. You still have all of the debilitating effects of the radiation. You still have the sickness. You know, you still have the pain from the surgery. So they're very good at treating the disease, but not the patient or the person afterwards. Finally, I found out about a nonprofit, the Mesothelium Applied Research Foundation, and I started doing speaking, and I started blogging, and I started getting really active in the cancer community. So I'm doing all this in the public eye, but at home, I was a blithering, scared idiot. My daughter was in the second grade at the time. I would cancel plans with friends uh, because I was afraid Lily was going to get sick and I didn't want to leave the house. And um, every time she did get sick, I just knew she had cancer. I would freak out and I would shake. And it was flashbacks to when I was sick from chemo. It was seven years out. I had, I would say, like a breakdown. Um, and I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. And it was, it was trying to shove down the feelings of fear and shove down the feelings of guilt and all that and not address them. So being diagnosed with post-traumatic stress was kind of a turning point. Um, through some research, I was able to find a program and they couple physical therapy and psychotherapy and therapists so regaining that sense of self through physical therapy and seeing a therapist was really valuable. And that year, I think really helped set me up for healing to be able to move forward. How exactly did Heather move forward? We're going to take a look at Heather's story and what it tells us more generally about the link between mental and physical health. We've got Heather here to help us, and we've got the help of Dr. Neha Chaudhry. She's the co-founder of Brainstorm, the Stanford Laboratory for Brain Health, Innovation, and Entrepreneurship. She's also the author of a forthcoming book on how technology is changing how we think about mental health. Both of them are with us today. Heather Von St. James, Dr. Chaudhry, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Heather, I'd like to start with you. Uh, you're a cancer survivorship advocate, and in your own case, it took a good seven years after the end of chemo before you finally saw a therapist. Now, to me, that seems like a really long time. The program you entered involved both physical therapy and mental health care. I wonder if you would describe for us, please, what a typical day looked like during this treatment. Um, I was in a place that I had a lot of anxiety, um, and I would wake up every day really worried about what would happen during the day. What would it would my daughter get sick? Um, you know, how would she feel? Um, it was almost like a post-traumatic stress where I, I transferred all of my feelings onto worrying about my daughter. And so I had a lot of anxiety about her getting sick because it was a flashback to when I was sick. But once I started going to therapy and actually talking about what was going on in my head and why I felt the way I felt, it was almost as if somebody gave me permission to feel that it was okay. 
but um, it was a, a typical day in the beginning was really rough. And I kind of had two faces, the public face, which I pretended everything was fine and everything was great. And then, you know, my private at home, anxious, trying to get through the day and, and not freak out face. When you say you were worried that your daughter was going to get sick, you mean get sick with cancer? Yeah. Yep. That consumed every minute of every day. And I still, you know, she she had a headache this week. And the first pop thing that pops in my mind is <gasps> brain tumor. And without, you know, it's just a knee-jerk reaction. And so I have to stop, go back to my, you know, steps of saying, no, this is just a headache. It's normal. The weather's changing. You get headaches. You're fine. And so I have to talk myself through these steps in order to come back from this knee-jerk freak-out reaction. And I was able to learn how to cope with those in therapy. Can you explain a little bit what the philosophy was in the treatment that you finally underwent, the physical therapy with the mental therapy? How did those two work together? The physical therapy is such an integral part of the mental therapy because if your body is not working the way that it should, you just, you don't feel as well, obviously, and your your mental health isn't as good. Um, I had a lot of issues with radiation. Um, What it did is it basically ruined all the nerves in the left half of my chest. And so my left arm is numb, my left hand is numb, I have a frozen shoulder from the surgery, and my body just didn't feel like itself. It didn't feel normal. It didn't feel like my body did for 36 years. And it caused me a lot of stress and a lot of pain. Um, The surgery I had, I was basically cut in half, and my left lung was removed. And so they cut through a lot of nerves and all that. And I never was once told I should seek physical therapy. And my diaphragm was actually removed on the left half of my body, too. So my whole core is undeveloped. And physical therapy helped me regain some strength that I had lost and helped me kind of straighten myself out. I would drag my foot um, because my body was so crooked. And going to physical therapy helped me kind of right my body again and in turn gave me a little bit more, you know, strength to get through the day. And it just made me feel better. And when you feel better, I think you think better. And it it did ultimately help. Dr. Chaudhry, what's your initial reaction hearing Heather's story? I'm just shocked that Heather went through what she did for so long without any of the effects on her mental health being taken into consideration. And the saddest part is this is all too common. I see see it happen all the time. The people don't make this link between physical dimension and the mental dimension. Correct, correct. I think we make an artificial distinction between physical health and mental health and that both are such key pieces of overall health. There's a lot of overlap between the two and I hope that at some point the culture shifts to where we just use the word health. And we automatically assume that it includes both physical health and mental health. I tell my patients this, the brain's an organ just like the rest of the body. So to me, the distinction between physical and mental health is like the distinction between heart health and lung health. It's all part of health. You have been very effective in your work in communicating uh, why it is important to think about mental health and physical health. What is your own path uh, personally to this topic? I found that as a psychiatrist, a lot of what I do is 
getting to know who a person is, watching them go through their day, go through their lives. There's something called, and I don't know if anyone has heard of this before, but the biopsychosocial model of disease. So that means biologically what's happening with this person, psychologically what's happening, but then socially what's happening as well. And especially in child psychiatry, no child is an island. I always think about how they're functioning within the realm of school and home and their friends and social circle. So in piecing all of this together, your physical health comes up. It's, it's, it's hard for it not to. The two, again, to me, go hand in hand. And a lot of times I end up, I'm just joking about being my patient's primary care doctor when I'm, quote unquote, just their psychiatrist. I, I think ultimately I would love to see all types of doctors work together with psychiatry. And I would love people to see mental health as a, an integral part of their overall health and not separate out the two. Yeah, you made an interesting point in one article uh, that we do assessments for children at a very young age uh, when they're going to school of their eyesight and their hearing, but we don't do any kind of across-the-board mental assessment. And were we to do such a thing, we could very early on uh, start to identify uh, various factors in individuals that might become bigger issues and challenges for them later on and then deal with them you know, from a young age, it'll then the problem will be mitigated as they go along. Absolutely. I would love to see mental health screenings become a standard of care. Right now, there's a barrier to seeking care because of stigma and just access to mental health care. So a lot of mental illness ends up going undiagnosed for a very, very long time where there are opportunities to catch it early. As you mentioned, kids get screened for several other conditions at a very young age. Uh, what do we know, Dr. Chowdhury, uh, scientifically about the connection between physical and mental health? Do we know scientifically that there's a link that if one is uh, failing, the other element will fail too? We've seen that in people with medical illness, there's, there's much higher rates of mental illness, for example, depression. And we've also seen that in people with depression, as just one main example of mental illness— people are less likely to adhere to medications. So the two end up impacting each other and it ends up in a downward spiral that snowballs. I understand there was this one study that has been done that uh, contrasted care to treatment. What is the difference between those two? I think treatment is what doctors typically focus on. So treating a broken bone or treating heart disease, for example. I think care really takes into consideration the person. So not only the broken bones and the heart disease, but what is that person going through? What do they need? And there's a, a study out of MGH that I uh, read and I've spoken to a colleague about where they looked at things like assigning a case manager for the patient. And those patients ended up doing better and having better outcomes overall. So given the results of that study, uh, is there uh, a greater attempt at hospitals around the country or even around the world to uh, make there be more of a sort of care team for every patient? I think there's early talks of it. That's something that I'm personally very interested in and would love to see because I do see that as being the next step. I think that patients need, or people need extra help in navigating all the steps involved in being a patient. 
I've firsthand seen and worked in programs where there were case managers who were assigned to people to help remind people about appointments or help them find transportation vouchers, help them apply for programs that they might be eligible for, or make sure that they can even afford the medications that they're being prescribed. I mean, these are the practical parts of being a patient that can sometimes go ignored. Heather, you made the point that your doctors treated the disease, but they didn't treat the person. They didn't treat you as a person. Uh, What I wonder is, having been a patient, having been the person with the disease, what is the very least that a doctor could do to make you feel seen as a person? You know, recently, my my surgeon, he's one of the top surgeons for my disease um, in the nation, if not the world. And he's notoriously busy and, you know, usually checks in with you, say, okay, good, everything's good. All right, we'll see you next time. Um, recently, he's been spending like 15, 20, 30 minutes in the room with me and sitting down and talking with me. And it's like there's been a sea change that I've noticed in the practice that they're spending far more time with the patients and asking how things are going. That never happened, you know, so long ago. Um, you know, it was, it was more of a just check in, look at the scans. Scans are good. All right, we'll see you in six months. And then send me under my way. But now, you know, sitting and talking, whether he has more time, whether um, he's decided that this is important in his practice, I don't really know, but I like it. <laughs> and I'm glad to see that happening. Um And I think they need to remember that we're people too and we have needs. And I know they're busy and I know they have a lot on their plates, but we have a lot of concerns too. This is my life and this is my body and my health. And it would have been nice to have been asked, you know, how are you coping with this? You know, you had a lot on your plate. You got a new baby and now you got this cancer. You know, how are you feeling about that? And I I was in, and to have been asked that would have maybe opened up a conversation for me to get help sooner. When Heather was navigating her uh, mental health journey in 2006, uh, you know, there was all this stigma. It's 12 years later, it's 2018. How has the medical community changed its perspective on the connection between mental and physical health uh, since then? I think that there's more attention placed on the potential link between mental and physical health. That said, I think there's still such great stigma in addressing mental health that some of the same stigma that keeps an individual person from potentially seeking care for their own mental health interferes with systemic change when it comes to improving or changing the mental health field. I think that in order to change the field of mental health and make it more accessible and integrate it into the medical community more and see it integrated in practice, the same stigma barriers that prevent an individual person from seeking mental health need to be broken down. I think there's, there's potential for it to change, but it's, it's the very start of that conversation that we're beginning to see. Heather, I want I, you alluded uh, to your activism. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more what uh, that trajectory has been and what do you do specifically? Well, I started some years ago after I was diagnosed, um, being told, you know, you have 15 months to live. Um, and after I had survived five years, which in mesothelioma is really a long time, I decided it was time to start sharing my story. And there's incredible power in sharing one's story. And um, like Dr. Chowdhury said, you know, the the human emotion, the connection, 
somebody else hears that you're surviving, that they're going through the same thing, um, it encourages them and it inspires them. And I wanted people to be able to look at, at me and say, oh, if she did it, I can do it too. Um, and so it was just by sharing my story. And then I started talking to patients, newly diagnosed patients, their caregivers, um, and just talking to them about their journey, you know. And then I got involved with a nonprofit called the Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation. And by working with them, I've been able to really help the, the patient community with survivorship issues, with, you know, newly diagnosed, you know, helping to find medical care because having this nonprofit who deals with research and medical care, you know, in my back pocket, it's, a, it's another tool to help offer our patients. And so many new patients, especially with such a rare cancer, are so scared, don't know where to turn. No doctors know how to treat this. I ended up going all the way to Boston from here, from Minneapolis, for my surgery, um, because there was no doctors at the time here in the Twin Cities who would treat mesothelioma. Um, so it just became a mission for me to help people and inspire people. Dr. Chowdhury, you recently co-founded the Stanford Brainstorm. Tell us what that is, please. This is an academic laboratory rooted at Stanford. It's a nonprofit organization, and we're focused on brain health innovation, but trying to come at it from a new angle. So we are trying to connect the worlds of medicine, business, and technology, and more, and policy, basically anyone that might interface with the world of mental health, and that includes you and I. And we're trying to connect people and bridge gaps in knowledge and in learning that might hinder any one of us individually from making change. Because we think that right now, a lot of people are coming up with new and creative ideas, but they're doing so in silos. And the ideas could be even better and more effective and work more effectively if people work together. And if, if people shared knowledge across those gaps. So if we can be those bridges between those spaces and be positioned as some sort of central point or central glue between all of these different people, we hope that the field of mental health, and I say mental health, but really I mean brain, brain and behavioral health is a little bit broader than just what we typically see as mental health, but we think that that'll help push the field forward so that it catches up and that people aren't waiting again a decade to get the help that they need. I can see where um, tech would come in. How does uh, business fit into this scheme? There's a lot of new mental health startups. There's probably several hundred just in the past couple of years because it's a wide open space. The problem is right now, People in the business world and people with the, the tech talent and engineering backgrounds may not necessarily have the clinical perspective. I, as a clinician, might have an idea for an app or a program or something that might really help me in my practice or help my patients, but I may not know how to start a business, where to get the funding or how to do the coding and the technical aspect of, of any of this. So the thought is that if we can connect these two worlds, change can happen, and it'll work. Heather, tell us, what does it feel like for you hearing from Dr. Chowdhury and, uh, and hearing about her commitment to mental health? It actually really encourages me a lot to know that there are members out there of the medical world who are wanting to strengthen uh, the connection between mental and physical health. Um, 
you know, being a patient for so long, I've, I've been around this a long time and I talk to a lot of people and seeing it, it has changed and it is getting better over the years. There are medical centers that are definitely integrating mental health treatment along with regular cancer treatment. And I think it's, it's something that's long past due. So I'm really happy to know that things are changing, albeit too slowly for my taste. But I, I'm glad to see that things are, are on the trajectory to hopefully talk about it and destigmatize mental health along with, you know, as part of something different and have it be part of everyday care. Heather, after being a patient for so long, you really are an expert in this more so than I am. And I really want to say I appreciate your sharing the story and I'm happy to be doing this podcast just to have heard from you. Well, thank you. It's it's an honor to be with somebody as uh, studied and, and innovative as yourself, too. It's It's great. I really appreciate being a part of this. Heather Von St. James, Dr. Neha Chaudhry, thank you both so much for this conversation today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Heather Von St. James lives in Minneapolis, where she continues her work as a patient advocate. She blogs at mesothelioma.com. Dr. Nea Chaudhry is a psychiatrist and the co-founder of Stanford Brainstorm. You can learn more about her work and about her forthcoming book at stanfordbrainstorm.com. Life Effects is a production of Slate Studios in partnership with Teva. You can find links to the studies we mentioned and more about everything in this series at lifeeffects.teva. I'm Sarah Ivry. Thank you so much for listening, and please join us again next time.